Hello from Brooklyn, New York. This is Rabbinic Redesign, and I am your host, Rabbi Shira Koch Epstein. We clergy leading Jewish communities through this new normal have unexpected opportunities to meet the needs of our people while also realizing our vision for Jewish flourishing. This podcast helps you access new ideas and helpful resources for successful rabbinic innovation. How might we ensure that our services, programs, and communities are as accessible and inclusive as possible? This week, I'm talking to Matan Koch of the nonprofit Respectability, which fights stigmas and advances opportunities so people with disabilities can fully participate in all aspects of community. Matan is Director of Respectability California and its Jewish initiatives. And for me, this is particularly exciting not only because he brings a wealth of knowledge and experience and is sharing resources to teach us how to make our communities more inclusive and accessible, but also because he's my brother. Hi, Matan. Hi. I'm so excited to be here with Matan Koch, Director of Respectability California and Jewish Leadership, who is also my brother. Matan, hi! It's so exciting to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about respectability and the work that you do with the Jewish community and Jewish leadership? Sure. So, respectability was born out of the Jewish Funders Network's disability inclusion subgroup. Really, the, the members of that group came together and decided that they needed to create an organization to fill a void, to do more uh, for the needs of people with disabilities. And while they quickly identified that it's really secular needs that are most pressing, the need for employment, the need to have basic needs of life met, and the need to address stigma, and that's where the majority of our work rests, we've never left behind our Jewish roots. Rather, we've embraced them fully. And so we do have a department that I'm privileged to run that also helps to look at inclusion and accessibility in the Jewish world, both practically teaching people and promoting it, creating and promoting materials, and bringing together Jews with disabilities so that we can understand what needs there are and come to solutions directly. That's great. So I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how we might ensure that our services, programs, and communities are accessible and inclusive as possible. And I also want to say, I know that Respectability has been working with over 20 other Jewish organizations and groups to create a guide to help Jewish leaders and communities make virtual high holidays more accessible and inclusive. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what's in the guide and some information for listeners about what they might do to make the communities more accessible and inclusive. Sure, I'd love to do that. So the guide itself is exactly the sort of thing we're talking about. We were listening in the Jewish community. We heard that there was concern about how to do this right, and we were pleased to jump and create it. I'm privileged to have worked with my primary co-authors, Rabbi Lauren Tuckman and Rabbi Darby Lay, uh, one who is blind and one who is deaf. And really, the reason that that is important is when we're talking about virtual high holiday services, it is those of us who experience sensory or communication-related disabilities that perhaps have the most 
accommodation needs. As I say in the introduction to the guide, as a person with a mobility impairment, my needs are actually the least when it comes to virtual high holiday services because, you know, I won't be leaving my space. Right. We actually have heard or, or been told that for some people, actually, the move to virtual has made it more accessible since everyone right. cannot come into the building. They can all be together on Zoom. But you're helping us understand that for a whole host of people in our communities, actually, the move to virtual makes it less accessible for them. Right. So if you can't hear or if you're hard of hearing, if you're deaf or hard of hearing, then obviously the spoken medium of Zoom is uh, less than helpful, at least unless there are captions and interpreters. And the reason we say the gold standard is captions and interpreters is because ASL is, of course, its own language, first of all. So it is very different uh, if you're a native sign speaker to be reading English captions or to be experiencing it in your own language, but also because a captioner is one way, right? A captioner will allow what the speaker is saying to be communicated to the audience, but doesn't really allow an audience member that, say, communicates by sign to share information back with the group if it's a participatory exercise. So we really talk about, you know, the importance of captioners, interpreters, how to get it, but also how to do the event right so that they can operate, how to make sure that your timing is planned and people understand what's happening when, and there's a script and a structure to follow. And then there are challenges both to blind folks that are trying to participate, not necessarily the same challenges. Obviously, they can hear what is being presented in the webinar, but a lot of our streaming services use, for instance, virtual Cedarim. They're put up on screen share on Zoom, for example. They're completely inaccessible. There's no technology that makes it so that a person who is blind or low vision can see what is being screen shared on a Zoom. And then even if the material is provided, say, in PDF or Word document format, that may or may not be accessible to the technology that blind Jews use to access it. So part of the things we do in the guide is walk people through the steps they need to take to make sure that the materials that they're using are accessible to people that use that technology and to make sure that they're distributed in advance so that one doesn't need to be trying to assimilate them during the event. We talked briefly about Braille materials because those are a way that the subset of folks that can access Hebrew Braille, and remember not all blind people can read Braille, can access printed materials as well. Sadly, depending on which machser one would be using for one's service or which sitter one would be using for a non-Rosh Hashanah service, many of them are not available in Braille at this time of the modern Machsarim. Only Mishkan HaNefesh is available in Braille. The conservative movement is looking at making Lev Shalem uh, into a Braille copy and will probably be launching an initiative to fundraise for that shortly, but it doesn't exist at the moment. And the other challenge for Braille materials is that because of the way the law works, a congregation can't acquire them. Rather, an individual blind congregant needs to reach out to the nonprofits that do the provision and sign up as a member and request it. And so one of the things we do in the guide is not only walk people 
through that process, but suggest to spiritual and community leaders that it would be good to work with your congregants on that process. Of course, it's challenging and frustrating and not always the easiest thing. And so while we can't, as Jewish community leaders, change it, we can certainly be there with people as they're going through the journey. And the last thing we really acknowledge is that not every access challenge can be met in a virtual environment. If one Mm -hmm. is, for instance, blind and low vision and deaf and hard of hearing, well, right now there is no easy way to access a virtual environment. If one is of a level of observance that doesn't allow one to use technology or use the technology they need, there's not an easy solution in, in a virtual environment. And so we talk about helping people to overcome other barriers. For instance, disability often comes with economic challenges and can community help people get the technology that they would need to access a service, but also about being there spiritually present for the folks in your community who won't be able to participate in services so that they know that the community is at least aware of them, reaching out to them, and embracing them at this time. The last thing we talk about, then I'm going to turn it back to you, Shira, is that we know that some of the accommodations that we are recommending will be outside of what smaller communities can afford. An interpreter, for instance, you need a team of at least two is a couple hundred dollars per hour. And so what we recommend is that if you are able to make that investment and if you are doing it as a community, especially because the nature of a virtual service is that someone can log in from anywhere, share that information widely. So if someone's own congregation can't provide that, then they know that there is somewhere to go, that there is a place to be. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to make all of our services accessible, but we acknowledge the realities and challenges that come with that. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. And I wonder, before I suggest that the Center for Rabbinic Innovation could or would do this, is respectability collecting any of that information to put back out there? Like if there are communities or congregations making the investment to make their streamed services or streamed programs or virtual programs more accessible, and another congregation is really struggling to find the resources to do so and wants to direct their person to somewhere else, are you or do you know of anywhere that's serving as a clearinghouse for that information? So we put a request in the guide itself for people to send us the information and that we would want to act as a clearinghouse. The fact is, sadly, we're not staffed to gather the information unless people provide it to us, which means that we would have limited venues to collect it. So while we would be happy to do so, we encourage those organizations, federations or rabbis boards or whatever else that are directly in contact with large numbers of groups to try to gather that information from the groups that they have access to and make it available. And certainly feel free to share it with us and we'll make it even more broadly available. But our challenge is to get it. Great. So we're going to put up some resources on our website linked to this podcast. And I also know one of my other podcast guests, Aliza Klein, is running a project called Here For that is actually allowing people to post their events on their website and to recruit and even charge money if people want to and to put out what those events are. And I wonder if that might be a place where 
organizations who are leading accessible high holiday experiences might post them so that others can find them. I'll speak to them about that. That might be a good matchup. I think that would be fantastic. Aliza has has partnered with Respectability on other initiatives, so it would be uh, a wonderful opportunity to, to chat about it. Hey, look at the Center for Rabbinic Innovation podcast, bringing people together. I'm also going to encourage our listeners, if you are working on a particular initiative, if you download the guide from our website and come up with a way to make your programming and services more accessible, post it on our Facebook page, share it with each other, and we can all do more by sharing with each other those resources. Matan, in the time we have left, I wanted to just turn to you. You're my brother, so I have seen in your life how the opportunities to have access and to be included have been so meaningful and also how challenging it has been for you and for our family at times when those spaces were not inclusive and did not make the accommodations necessary to allow you to include. For those who don't know Matan, he has cerebral palsy. He utilizes a wheelchair to get around. And so I wonder, Matan, if you could share with us, you're, you're welcome, it's up to you if you want to share any of your personal stories of inclusion and accessibility or its opposite in the Jewish community that might have brought you to this work. And also to tie that to any quick tips you might have for our listeners on how they can make their spaces, not just the things in the guide, but some general quick tips for them in how they might orient their thinking. Great. So I think I will tell a story, a very quick story that explains what not to do, not not to shame the organization in question. I won't even tell you where it was, but to explain how these things can happen with the best of intentions, right? It was was a high holiday service, and I had come in in my wheelchair, and in the early moments, they'd put me in a comfortably very accessible spot. But as the room began to fill, I just got pushed further and further out of my spot because of, of the Space constraints, and before you know it, instead of actually participating in the service, I was tucked behind a pillar against the wall, not able to actually see anything that was going on in the room. I recount that briefly at the beginning of the guide, and I don't recount it to say don't tuck people behind a pillar because I think if we have a moment to think about it, we all know not to tuck someone behind a pillar. Recount it to remind people how quickly when we're dealing with the exigencies and difficulties of a complicated event, we can forget the needs of folks with disabilities, and we can even forget the careful plans that we made in the days leading up to not have things like this happen. So I would sort of first offer the tip of like, as you're making your plans, make sure everyone knows them, has really understood them, and has really thought about why we're doing them, because nothing reverses an access choice more quickly than simply forgetting about it in the heat of the moment. Conversely, I think a huge thing to do, and this is part and parcel with the advice I gave about folks for whom technology won't work, is to remember that your goal is first and foremost to include. So if you can't follow a suggestion that we had in the guide, or if someone comes to you with a need that the guide doesn't address, your answer should not be to think, oh, I can't deal with this because I can't do what the guide says, or I can't deal with this because I don't know what to do. Your answer should be, let me talk to them and figure out what might make them feel as included as we can do. We, we have a catchphrase at Respectability, it's ask the person. And we recognize that nothing is more 
personal than the feeling of being included in worship. If what makes one person feel included might make another person feel excluded. So the last example that I will give is language. I'm not going to suggest particular language to use. I've written whole articles about the pros and cons of different choreographic instructions that rabbis give at services. But one of the things that is really nice about language is that it can be a signaling device. Regardless of how you choose to acknowledge that there are people in your community that are experiencing services differently, maybe who can't stand, maybe who can't sit, maybe who can't whichever, the fact that you've chosen to make that acknowledgement is such a strong reminder that the breadth of their experience is on your mind, that they are a part of the community that you envision when you envision your community. And that, I think, is one of the biggest goals of making any experience inclusive, but especially a prayer experience. Well, Matan, I'm so delighted that you could be with us today. And it's really nice to see you from across the country since we're on opposite coasts. And I want to direct our listeners to learn more about Matan, his work, and the work of the organization he works for at respectability.org. And we will be linking to Respectability's Guide to Making the High Holidays More Inclusive on our website. And you can learn more about Matan and the center at www.centerforrabbinicinnovation.org. Thanks so much, Matan. It was great to see you. Thank you. So I have to be honest that this conversation with Matan also reminded me to ensure that our work here at the Center for Rabbinic Innovation can and should be more inclusive. He reminded me to get transcripts of these podcasts so that people who are deaf or hard of hearing can also benefit from them. Thank you, Matan. What are you doing to ensure that your programs and services are accessible and inclusive? Let us and others know about what you are doing on our Center for Rabbinic Innovation Facebook page and find out more about Matan Koch, his work at Respectability, and download the free and comprehensive guide to making online high holiday celebrations accessible to all on our website at www.centerforrabbinicinnovation.org slash podcast. Special thanks to our operations guru, Heather Wolfson, our editor, Andrew Kroger, the Office of Innovation, and our fiscal sponsor, Hillel International. This podcast is a program of the Center for Rabbinic Innovation, made possible thanks to the support of the Jewish Community Response and Impact Fund. 